On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Unplugged Performance co-founder Ben Schaefer joins me for a wide-ranging interview about how his Tesla aftermarket mod house got started, plus what mods they have in mind for the Cybertruck. Plus, follow-ups on the new EV tax credit, Tesla drops another included accessory with new Model 3 and Model Y deliveries, and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you alongside Daisy the Boxer. It is episode 368 of your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast. It's called Ride the Lightning. You know that. For August 21st, 2022, though I am recording a bit early this week, it is Thursday night rather than Friday night. I have uh, kindly been invited to a big DeLorean party down at Pebble Beach. It's going to be the new DeLorean Alpha 5 EV prototype and a bunch of classic DeLoreans and some of my friends, people from DMC and from the community. So I'm going to head down there for that on Friday night. So I'm going to get you a podcast here on Thursday, which for those of you backing me on Patreon will be good news because you can listen to it a little earlier than normal. Uh, But this episode entirely is dedicated to my cousin, Pat. He would have been 65 years old this weekend And he had talked about for well over a year prior to now, to this, to what would have been his birthday today, he wanted to have the whole extended family, all the cousins, all of his siblings, uh, down at a rented beach house on the New Jersey shore, which was for him a summer tradition growing up in New Jersey with his family. In fact, we got to do that. Pat rented a couple of houses, family flew in. I was lucky to be there. We did that for his 60th birthday. It was so memorable, so great. And so I can't help but think of him this weekend. My uh, my Tesla brother-in-arms within the, the family, although there are a couple more Teslas in the family, actually a few more. But rest in peace, Pat. You are missed. Uh, a few follow-ups from last week before I get rolling with the bit of news. So I've got a little news for you, and then I'll play the Ben Schaefer interview, which is a little over an hour. It's like 65 minutes, but I think it's a really good conversation that I think you're going to enjoy, so stay tuned for that. But a few follow-ups from last week. First, to elaborate on my point about the LFP battery pack in the base Model 3 last week, that battery pack does indeed disqualify that version of the car from the new federal EV tax credit. But I now have some specifics. Here are some specific details, courtesy of Bloomberg reporter Tom Randall, who covers Tesla and covers the EV space. We follow each other on Twitter. He was kind enough to respond to me when I was asking a question about this on Twitter, trying to get it clear, because the, the verbiage, the wordage in this new bill, this new law, is a little confusing about the mineral content and all this kind of stuff. So here's what Tom said. Number one, uh, North American Assembly, which, of course, all of the Teslas we purchase here in the U.S. are assembled in the United States, either in Fremont or in Texas. Tom says North American Assembly is just a prerequisite to the tax credit. Then there are two battery requirements for 2023, which will change for 2024. But for next year, 
50% of pack components by value must be made or assembled in North America. Number two, 40% of battery minerals must come from the United States or a free trade agreement country. Each of those is worth half of the credit or $3,750. Now he followed up, Tom was kind enough to follow up uh, on my clarification then. So I said, well, okay, Tom, thank you for that. That means in fact, only the Model Y will qualify, right? And he said, I'm not sure about Tesla's mineral provenance and the final rules on what qualifies for that haven't been written yet, but assuming they can source 40% from free trade agreement countries, then yeah, my understanding is that Model Y, Cybertruck, and I'd like to note here then presumably only the dual motor, what will be the base model, and Semi, the Tesla Semi will qualify for a $40,000 commercial discount as part of this new law, should qualify. So thank you very much to Tom Randall for helping me uh, to really get a a grip on this new, on all the little stipulations of this new law. Now, as I said last week, so basically last week I gave you correct information just on the surface. So I wanted to provide those extra details, that extra context this week. Now, as I did mention last week, my hope is that Tesla is able to figure out some way for that LFP battery to qualify here uh, and so that buyers of that car are able to get, if not the full $7,500 tax credit, at least half of it, at least something. So we shall see what Tesla does. Now, the Patreon poll that I put up this week, which again, anyone can vote on. You don't need to be a Patreon backer. Uh, You can just go to patreon.com slash Tesla podcast and at some point, usually early of the early in the week, Wednesday at the latest, I put up each week's poll, which ties into a news story that I'm going to talk about on each week's episode. So I asked all of you this, does the new EV tax credit affect your next car purchasing decision at all? Given the requirements, the place of manufacture, the battery sourcing and the income caps, I said, I'm curious how many people in my audience are affected by the new EV tax credit in terms of your purchasing decision. So it's a simple yes or no vote, but I'm not just asking about Tesla here. Perhaps the rules of the new credit have you considering another non-Tesla EV or conversely, have you looking solely at a Tesla, namely the Model Y, whereas before maybe you'd been cross shopping a few different cars. So after a total of 148 votes. Not surprisingly here, 74% of you voting no. The new tax credit will not affect your car purchasing decision at all. And I say that's not a surprise really because if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in Tesla, you are looking to buy a Tesla. We've been now used to the Teslas not having any kind of tax credit for a good, what, two going on three years now? I think so. Uh, This really, it's no surprise that it hasn't really factored into anybody's decision. That said, I do hope it's able to help a lot of you out that are going to purchase a Model Y and take delivery of it in 2023. So hopefully it it will simply be a pleasant surprise for some of you. And then moving forward into 2023 and beyond, you can really start to plan for it 
uh, as part of your Model Y purchase. And as I've said repeatedly now, I sure hope the Model 3 will qualify some way, somehow. Now, uh, regarding my points about Tesla taking pricing action on the Long Range 3 specifically, as I said last week, that car is $3,000 over the cap. Uh, A couple of you wrote me this week or called in and wisely pointed out that, you know, it really would need to be an and situation with the, with the tax credit, as far as the, the long range would have to, would have to qualify. Tesla would have to pull some magic and they'd have to do something for the base model three as well, because otherwise you, if they were to simply lower the price of the long range model three by $3,000, you would have probably nobody buying the base model anymore because you'd have a long range model three. Uh, then again, at least for those people that qualify with the income requirements, but you, you'd have for those buyers, a model three long range with a tax credit that would end up bringing the price of it down to just a couple of thousand dollars more than a base model three that would not have a tax credit. So seemingly it would, it would hurt demand if not kill demand outright for the base Model 3. So again, here's hoping Tesla does right by customers on both of the Model 3s, uh, both of the the lower tier Model 3s. Obviously, the performance will not factor into this at all. Also, before I get started with the show proper this week, thank you to Lucas from Edmonton for adding an excellent potential solution to the list from last week when I was talking about supercharging the autonomous robo-taxis. I shared a couple of different ideas for that, and Lucas wisely pointed out Optimus could be a perfect solution here. It makes a ton of sense, although I will say maybe it's a little pessimism in my brain, a little doom and gloom, I don't know, but theft or vandalism came to mind when I thought about the idea of Optimus being stationed in the middle of the night at some of these more remote superchargers where somebody could come along with the wrong idea and maybe cause some damage. And I hope that would not happen. But nevertheless, uh, Lucas, thank you. I do agree. Optimus could be a wonderful solution for supercharging the autonomous fleet of Tesla vehicles once they are ready to go. All right. Finally, before I do a couple of news stories and then get to the Ben Schaefer interview, I hope all of you ludicrous tier backers and higher on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, Enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode, which I'm actually, I'm going to record it right after this. I wanted to get the regular show done first, uh, and then I'm going to do it the Patreon show immediately after. But I'm going to talk about the DeLorean Alpha 5 EV again for this one. And the reason for that is because that's where I was today. The, the actual global proper unveiling of the prototype, the actual real car, happened at the Pebble Beach Concourse d'Elegance today, and I got to be there. It was about a two and a half hour drive from San Francisco. I made my way down in the morning, and I'd never been to Pebble Beach before. It was an absolutely stunning place, and I got to see the car. So I'm going to give you my firsthand impressions of it on Patreon on that lightning round weekly bonus mini episode So if you're not already backing me, maybe enough of these lightning rounds will pile up that you'll think, you know what? I'd love to hear some of those. I'm going to join the Patreon because you're also supporting me. I mean, that's that's the big thing. You are supporting my efforts on the podcast in a 
totally voluntary way. The regular show will always be free, but these bonus extra episodes each week are for the ludicrous tier on up. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash Tesla podcast if you'd like to investigate that. Okie doke, let's get rolling here. First up in the news cycle this week, per a report from Drive Tesla Canada, Tesla is no longer providing the Chrome license plate frames on new Model 3 and Model Y deliveries. According to information obtained by Drive Tesla, deliveries of Model 3 and Y vehicles built after August 6th will now come without a license plate frame. Since the change is tied to the vehicle build date and not delivery date, there will still be deliveries in the coming weeks with a frame as inventory is cleared out through the transition. In an email to employees, Tesla says this change is being made to further remove Chrome from these vehicle designs. To somewhat compensate for this, we have also learned that Tesla will start selling a black license plate frame in their online shop later this year. The Model S and X already have a black license plate frame, which which will still be included on all of those new deliveries. Well, I cannot say I'm surprised here. You know, even though I do think it's nice to get a a good-looking license plate frame when you pay Tesla prices for a car, it's not cheap to buy a Tesla. I mean, I for one, I am using the one that came with my car. In fact, I, I would argue... Well, I would say in my experience here in the Tesla bubble in the San Francisco Bay Area, most Model 3s and Ys that I see are using the ones that was the one that the license plate frame that was included with the car. I would say the the plurality or if not majority of cars that I see are using that one myself included. Uh, but, you know, it's again, it's not surprising that they're they're dropping this. Because realistically, it's something that most new customers probably won't even notice. And for those that do care, Tesla can simply, as Drive Tesla noted, sell them one in the Tesla online shop and make a few bucks on that deal without having to commit to a, what, 1.5, well, I guess 1.5 million is the entire Tesla production for the year. But let's say... I mean, well over a million Model 3s and Model Ys are going to be made this year. So Tesla no doubt put in a huge order to the supplier for those those Chrome license plate frames. And so this is this is one thing they can cut out. I mean, Tesla said, as you heard there, that the the we're not using Chrome trim anymore reason. I mean, that's it's not an excuse. It is a legit reason Although, in fairness, the Tesla T-logo badges on the hood and on the trunk lid are still chrome, so technically the license plate frame doesn't quite stick out like a sore thumb because you do have that chrome piece uh, on the back of the car as well. But um, I I will say, I don't personally think that styling is the primary reason for this. And again, I don't hold it against Tesla necessarily, but if it was styling, then Tesla would have dropped the license plate frames two years ago, back when the Model 3s were first switched over to the satin black trim, just as the Model Ys have had the satin black trim ever since their introduction in early 2020. Again, I figure Tesla probably had a contract with their supplier for 
X number of Chrome license plate frames, that contract is fulfilled and Tesla figures, why bother renewing this contract? Let's simplify the supply chain by one part and save some money while we're at it. So like it or not, that is the case. You'll have to buy a, uh, a black license plate frame here in the coming months if you'd like one that says Model 3 or Model Y on it. Uh, next this week, Cal Penn. Now, if the name Cal Penn, Cal with a K, sounds familiar, it's because you may know him. He's the actor best known for Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, and he uh, somewhat famously left acting. I mean, he's back acting now, but he, he left his acting career for a time to work in the Obama administration in politics. So uh, Cal Penn, Bloomberg, and Panasonic are filming a new series at the Tesla Gigafactory in Sparks, Nevada. That would be Gigafactory Nevada, Gigafactory 1. The series will be filmed for Bloomberg's Quick Take Live News streaming platform. I saw this story on Teslarati where they write, According to Panasonic's corporate communications manager, uh, pardon me, manager, Tehani Manochio, the series will focus on sustainability and clean tech. In her LinkedIn post, she thanked the team for coming out to Sparks to talk about the sustainable supply chain and EV batteries. Her post included several photos of the film crew inside Giga Nevada. Recently, Cal Penn shared a video of a robot zooming down the hallway at the Gigafactory playing the Super Mario Brothers theme song. Here is a clip of that, which I saw shared by Tesla insider Sawyer Merritt. Take a listen to this. I'm at Tesla's Gigafactory and their robots play Super Mario Brothers. You know, I don't think I'm alone here. I feel like a lot of people around my age just cannot help but smile and feel legitimately happier whenever they hear that iconic tune. I know that's how it makes me feel. It is still so joyful to hear that after 35 years since, Super, 37, I guess, since Super Mario Brothers was first released. And, you know, it sure beats those robots just kind of, you know, statically buzzing up and down, just beeping or buzzing as they cruise up and down the hallways of Giga Nevada, you know, making sterile sounds, annoying beeps, whatever. Play the Super Mario Brothers theme. Why not? It makes people happy. Uh, anyway, I will certainly not let you know when Cal Penn's show airs because I suspect that we're all going to want to check this out because it is very rare that we get any kind of glimpse into the inner workings of any of the Gigafactories, but particularly Gigafactory Nevada, where the batteries, all the 2170s are made. I am very excited to see what they show us in this series. So we'll stay tuned for that. And then the other news story I've got for you here before I get to the Ben Schaefer interview to talk all things unplugged performance and aftermarket modding of the Teslas, both looks-wise, performance-wise. There's a lot of ground to cover in this interview coming up. That's why it's an hour long. But the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration well, they want to test out the full self-driving beta, but they haven't been able to get in. A somewhat humorous post 
by the whole Mars catalog who posted a copy of uh, Nitz's letter to Tesla. T take a listen to this. This is the letter. It says uh, it's from Gregory Magno at Nitza, and it's written to certain people at Tesla, their contacts at Tesla. It says, Tesla team, as you know, Nitza owns a Tesla vehicle with the FSD option. The VIN is blank, and the vehicle is running firmware version blank. With over 700 miles of driving this year and a safety score of 99, including a score of 100 for the most recent 107 miles on January 21st, we have not received... And by the way, this, in this email was sent back in January. So uh, it was sent on January 27th. This is a, a rather old email at this point. But there is a modern twist to this coming along here that's relevant here in August of 2022. But they say, we have not received the over-the-air update to fully enable FSD in our vehicle. We request some of your time and expertise to assess our situation and help us understand what additional steps we might need to take. Copied here are a couple other people. Thanks, Greg. Well, uh, I got a kick out of that, and so did Elon Musk, who responded to that whole Mars catalog post, whole Mars blog post, <laughs> who said, okay, we'll turn it on with a laughing emoji. Now, it's entirely likely that Nitza got the FSD beta already without Elon having to tell somebody on the team to go in and turn it on because many of you got in uh, just a few weeks ago with that last version. So uh, Nitza, one way or the other, they're in now. And it's, it is kind of humorous that they actually went so far as to write Tesla a letter and say, our safety score is really good. Can you let us in, please? I mean, we know that Nitsa has been paying quite a lot of attention to Tesla recently. So I suggest kind of filing this away in your brain. And if any recalls, note the heavy air quotes there, <laughs> recalls, aka software updates, get handed down in the coming weeks, or NHTSA calls for any other changes to how FSD beta works, think back to this moment when they finally got in to the FSD beta. But as I said, I, I could not help but laugh when reading this. I wasn't laughing at NHTSA. I don't mean it that way. I just think it's pretty funny that they have had to do the very same safety score dance that everybody else has had to. No preferential treatment for NHTSA. All right, that is everything I've got for you in the week of Tesla news. If I happen to miss anything that breaks on Friday, I will, of course, cover that for you in full next week. But right now, I'm going to take a teeny tiny, like five second little musical interlude break here and come back with that aforementioned Ben Schaefer interview. It's about an hour and five minutes long. I had a absolute blast. I had Ben and I had traded notes here and there ahead of this, but we'd never actually met face to face on, you know, either in real life or on Zoom, which is what what this was. Uh, nor had we actually spoken. We'd only exchanged text notes on Twitter and email. So I had an absolute ball getting to know Ben. I, I feel like he and I will get along famously when we actually do meet up in real life, which I hope we get the opportunity to do soon. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Stay tuned for that right after this. And then after the interview, I'll finish up with your pro tip of the week and the usual end of show stuff. Enjoy. 
My guest today is Ben Schaefer, the co-founder of Unplugged Performance. You've heard me mention them on the podcast before. Turns out the history is rather interesting, and, and they've got their fingers in a lot of different Tesla-related pies, as it were. So, Ben, first of all, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be doing this with you. Likewise. You know, I, I always like to start by uh, just give people the quick background. I don't want to assume anybody's been listening for however 300-something episodes this is. What? <laughs> just give, me, give us the elevator pitch on Unplugged Performance for, the, for my audience that may not be too familiar with you yet. We exist to do the things that Tesla maybe wants to do, but doesn't have the bandwidth to do. So where Tesla has limited amount of options and, and diversification in their production, we do all of the fun, crazy stuff that's less efficient uh, that they're not doing. And that also includes racing and motorsports, but really it's about making the cars more personalized and better for each individual owner's use case. And, and so, you know, as part of that, what are some of your most popular products? Because you've got stuff for all four Teslas that are currently in production. We're going to get into, I want to talk to you about Koenigsegg. I talked about that on the podcast when that, that deal first came up. But what are some of the things that people most commonly come to you for? Yeah, it's, it's in some ways hard to summarize because our, our objective is that we look at the design ethos of each Tesla and what the vehicle's meant to do. In a Tesla terminology, we, we try to figure out how to turn it up to 11. And what that means, it means different things for different cars. So, you know, how to, how to make a Model Y perfect might be a different recipe than how to make, in the future, a Roadster perfect or even how to make a Plaid Model S perfect. So... And perfection means different things to different people. So, you know, popular products, for example, we make a suspension kit for the Model Y that we call the luxury suspension that we feel makes it ride a bit better around town. Uh, that's what our customers tell us. And that's very different from our stories about Pikes Peak and racing flats. So it's we're not exactly that easy to summarize in terms of, you know, we, do we sell wheels or suspension or carbon fiber parts or interior upgrades? We basically think more about how can we make this car better and make it better for different people? Because, you know, the amazing thing about a Tesla is that it could be used as a robo taxi or even a yellow cab in New York, but it also can be used for someone, you know, who wants to go racing on the weekend. And those are very different use cases for the same technology. That's a good point. Yeah, very true. And, and that's, uh, I like that. I like that sort of, there is no one size fits all when it comes to these, just even these four Teslas, let alone the ones that are coming down the road which I'm going to ask you about later in the interview as well. So uh, we'll come back to Unplugged Performance as a company here in a bit, but I want to back up and talk about you specifically for a second, because I always like to ask anybody that I have as a guest on this show, how you got into Tesla. What What is your yeah. Tesla origin story, Ben? <laughs> well, I was always a car enthusiast, and I started 22 years ago, back when I was 20 years old, modifying sports cars. Back then, it was Japanese sports cars. found myself involved in the first Fast and Furious movie, did a bunch of different stuff with um, various motorsports and Japanese cars. And then in 2012, actually early 2013, we bought an office building where we still are in Hawthorne next to Tesla's design studio. And at the time, we were modifying very loud cars. Now it's a little bit different with Tesla, but <laughs> we had some very loud cars, you know, thousand plus horsepower Nissan GTRs, and we were going up and down the street testing for our customers. And one day, uh, our neighbors at Tesla knocked on our door. Uh, we gave them a tour of what we were doing, and we started a relationship. And uh, uh, very shortly after, my uh, 
mind was fully convinced that this is the future and I wanted to be an active participant in it. So was there one, was it a, a test drive or a test ride that did it for you as it, as it has for so many of us? Yes. Yeah, so thankfully I was a shareholder prior in 2012, uh, yeah. very in the very early days. And I always liked the philosophy of the company, but as a car enthusiast, like many at that time, I was a little bit at odds with whether this was something that was exciting as someone who likes to drive and, and likes to modify cars. Right. And actually, it was perhaps the opposite in 2012, where there was this philosophy that a lot of car enthusiasts shared at the time, that electric cars could become a bad thing or, or the death of car culture, as some people, you know, on a negative standpoint would say, because they felt these cars couldn't be modified and that people argued they had no soul and all these kinds of arguments. So... I didn't think in 2012 when I started buying Tesla stock that this was going to be a business choice. I felt it was just something I believed in. Um, after I met uh, a couple of the directors at Tesla in 2013, I thought, this is amazing. You know, I, I love what these guys are doing. I'm going to go and drive one of these cars. And in fact, I, I went out and uh, bought a 2013 P85 Plus Model S. Nice. Um, and uh, within really the first day of owning that car and driving it, I was... 100% convinced, but I, I would describe it as a, as a mixture of fear and excitement. I was fearful because at that point, I had already spent 13 years uh, trying to build an automotive aftermarket that I loved in terms sure. of you know racing and supporting customers around the world. And I was fearful because it marked the distinct change that at the time, most people would look at that and say, this is the end of an era or the end of everything, depending on how you look at it. And bear in mind, in 2013... Nobody had ever modified an electric car at any kind of level. There was, there was no aftermarket parts for Teslas. No one had thought about doing any of these things. So long story short, I, I drove the car, and it occurred to me that the things that automotive companies do, for example, making transmissions that shift faster. Everyone was trying to optimize how fast the transmission can shift. And this car doesn't shift. You can't, you can't be faster than never for shifting. Uh, you know, we'd always have car debates about what's better, you know, a, a big V12 or turbocharged six or supercharged or naturally aspirated. Uh, the reason for all these debates is what's more responsive. You can't be more responsive than 100% torque with an electric motor. It's just not possible. And then, you know, for driving dynamics, you want a low center of gravity. You can't be better than having all the weight in the bottom of the car That's with right. a battery pack. So when I started looking at this, it was very obvious to me right away that this is a recipe that is definably better from an engineering standpoint. I didn't go at it from you know, an environmental aspect, although that was a nice benefit. I went at it purely as a car enthusiast, and I thought to myself, it's this and nothing else. And either we need to create the future that we want as car enthusiasts and embrace it, or everyone around me was pushing back and saying, oh, that's not the future I want. Um, so we wanted to create that future of, you know, this car culture that can coexist in an EV world. See, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I talk about that with people a lot in my life where one thing I love about Tesla itself and, and specifically the Tesla community is that there are several ways in, you can be a total, you know, green conscious, environmentally conscious person and want to come at it that way. You can be, absolutely. uh, a safety-minded parent or, you know, just safety-minded person that just wants to be in the safest car. Or you can be, you can want a car that's going to blow everybody else away down at the drag strip or off a stoplight. And there's all these different great ways in. And so uh, I, I love that you you came in the performance route. 
But I got to back up a second. You just glossed over this very humbly, I might add, of that you were involved with the first Fast and the Furious movie. So you got to back up and tell that story real quick. Yeah, I've I've had a variety of interesting life experiences with uh, with this hobby that somehow has turned into a career. Um, I was involved in the first one, actually. The filming we were doing, uh, ironically, in the arc of my life, was uh, a block away from where our offices in Hawthorne. At the time, I wasn't even living in California. So there's always some great ironies in life when you look back. Of <laughs> here I am modifying electric cars in an office a block away from you know 1999 uh, or 2000. We were filming in Hawthorne on, on Prairie Ave, you know, doing the street racing scene that's now famous with uh, Ben Diesel and Paul Walker. I was out there for a week overnight filming that. Um, so life is strange how things twist and turn, but somehow there's still a, a running uh, a plot line through all of it, at least in, in, in my arc of what I've been doing with modifying cars. Um, so yeah, I was, I was involved in the first one primarily as an extra. I spent a week in Hawthorne doing that street race scene and another week at the airport in San Bernardino doing the race wars scene. Uh, and then I came back uh, helping them with movie cars for Tokyo Drift and then for the fourth uh, one as well, working with uh, Dennis McCarthy, who managed picture cars for the, for the franchise. Um, and then kind of fell out of it. You know, the, the, I, I, I love what they've done from a commercialization standpoint, but I'm a purist and I felt like the first movie represented the street racing scene in the car world that, you know, it, it was fairly authentic as a car movie. And over time it's become, it's become just another mission impossible or bond kind of franchise, which is great for them, prints yeah. money for them. But from a car <laughs> enthusiast standpoint, it lost some of the purity a long time ago. And, and I got, I want to, touch base on back on one other thing you said too. So, you know, I was asking you how you got into Tesla and you mentioned your, your 2013 P85 plus one. I'm curious if you still have that car. And two, did you buy the car site? Like, had you, was that the first Tesla you drove period was, was actually ordering or had you managed to get a, a little seat time with a, a model S or an original roadster prior to, to actually pushing the button to order the car? Yeah. Good questions. Um, I had it for a long time. We ended up selling it off about three years ago, but we ended up doing our, we have a refresh front bumper that makes the old cars look newer. So it ended up looking like a much newer car with the color change. And it was a beautiful, great car for a long time. Um, don't have it anymore. Uh, and, and yes, uh, either uh, by luck and some magical brilliance or stupidity, I had never driven a Tesla until I bought one. I figured, wow. I figured that, you know, with, the car is being designed right next door to me and a budding relationship with amazing neighbors. It was something that I needed to take seriously and explore. And I just went full in, at least as someone to purchase. I did, I, what I thought was it'd be an amazing daily driver and I would enjoy it and learn about our neighbors. Who knows? I didn't think, oh, this is going to you know change every minute of how I spend my day. Because yeah. what happened next was, you know, some people talk about being all in on the stock. For us, it was a little bit different. I was all in on adding value to the ecosystem that Tesla had, because from that moment forward, I announced to my team that we're pivoting and every dollar that we had earned from Bulletproof was going to fund a, a, a new, a new brand, which ended up becoming unplugged performance. And uh, it, it's fairly capital intensive because in the aftermarket, most companies deal with products that already exist. If you want to sure. upgrade brakes or suspension, you can source those things. But in this case, there was no one who had ever made suspension for a Tesla or brakes for a Tesla or body panels for a Tesla. The only thing that anyone had ever done was vinyl wraps and stereo systems. So we had to create the parts from scratch. 
for a customer that didn't exist. And then we had to explain to people why this actually wasn't a bad idea to actually want to modify a Tesla because everyone was very fearful of even touching the cars early on. And that evolved over time from trying to advocate why this might not be a stupid idea and could actually be fun to creating community events, to creating you know our Tesla course, at track day series that we've done 25 or so now to get people to experience their cars in a safe environment at higher speeds. Um, it really was creating an aftermarket. And when I say aftermarket, what I really mean was creating a, a, a car culture in the yeah, way that community. I'm used to seeing it. Yeah, from from zero, uh, and it was fascinating. You know, even you know these big industry trade shows like SEMA. We were the first to bring a Tesla to SEMA, and I remember every step of the way the amazing um, biases people have. Uh, you know, sometimes amazement, sometimes just pure anger of like you're an intruder, you shouldn't be here. What is this thing? And there was a level of education and experience that needed to be conveyed and taught, and we felt, you know, that that was responsibility that was important to us to do our best to, to tell that story um and it was a it was a really stupid dangerous bad business choice because we you know bet bet everything we had on something where there was no customers uh but you know like many people who i'm sure you talked to uh, our conviction and what tesla's mission was was and continues to be unshakable no i i, I love that i mean for me because it's i think for a lot of people listening to me and listening to this podcast and i know it's the case for me once I drove a Tesla, I I couldn't think about anything else anymore. Like not that not that I'm completely dismissive of gasoline cars. I mean, if I could get my hands on another DeLorean, which is I owned a DeLorean for a long time. If, uh, yeah, it, like I would do it tomorrow if it, if I. But, sure. you know, there, there's still a love there, but but it's just I just didn't I didn't it was, I was like I just knew this was the future. Like this is. I had the lucky experience that I talked about in my very first episode years and years ago. Uh, for me, the, it was the original Roadster in 2009 that I got mm. to drive. And it, and it was just like, it, it was like I was Neo seeing the code in the Matrix. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. seeing everything through a new lens. So I know exactly where you're coming from on that. Yeah, I, I definitely felt too too many pains of being too early in 2013. So I'm perhaps lucky I didn't see that in 2009 because already <laughs> 2013 to 2017, I felt like I was just arguing against the wall and no one believed what I was saying. Same with SpaceX. Our neighbors are SpaceX and I've been arguing the values of SpaceX for a long time. And until yeah. they started landing rockets, people didn't jump <laughs> on the bandwagon. Uh, and now everyone, you know, everything Elon touches, everyone assumes is going to be a home run because he's racked up some success. But early on, that was not the vibe. The vibe was pretty much, these guys are going to fail. They're doing crazy stuff. It doesn't make any sense. And it took people to, you know, bet with their time and with their money and to advocate that, you know, this is the future that, that will work. Um, but yeah, 2009, honestly, like I, I was a little negative on the roadster when I saw it. Um, and I, 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 I have to say, like as a car purist, I thought it was a weird choice that they took uh, a Lotus, which their philosophy is lightweight, and added a bunch of weight on the batteries. And I saw that, and I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that conceptually. Um, But obviously, it was the right choice, and it worked, and it led to all these amazing things. But as a car purist, I always think about how to make the car more of something, you know, that it was designed to be, and that felt like it was changing the character of the car in, in an unusual way. Granted, it was probably born out of constraints of what was available for a chassis. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you'd probably have a unique perspective on this because I've always thought, I've always been of the opinion that that uh, things like 
insane mode and later ludicrous mode and plaid that that these things exist yes because tesla can do them and they're fun but to me i've always thought that those were kind of the the secret weapon to get people to get traditional car guys car culture guys to to have a little bit of interest and and dare i say even a little respect for electric cars to when you start seeing you know this progression over time. And now, like, I imagine you could speak to this rather well in what you're seeing in your clientele and just the the traffic to your website and, and every aspect of your business that as electric cars and Teslas specifically are pushing this performance envelope, it's it's getting more attention and more, dare I say, credibility from the traditional car culture and performance car world, right? Yeah, I... I... I think it can almost be summed up as anyone who believes in this mission is eager to show why this is the superior way. And when it comes to technology, there should be a natural drive both from Tesla and from the car enthusiast community to show that this is the best way to accomplish something across the many different hats that it wears. You talk about the entry point of people entering because of environmental reasons or because it's a great comfortable daily driver or because it goes fast in a straight line or whatever it is. What I look at in terms of because again I'm I'm not just a shareholder I'm very much an activist and trying to push the, the message forward. So what I look at is where does the message get lost and how do I fight for it? So one of the reasons that we raced at Pikes Peak and created Tesla Corsa events is because when you say the car is really fast in a straight line, what I hear is the car is not great at Laguna Seca or at Pikes Peak, and what I want to do is prove that it is. I want to beat hypercars not in a straight line. That's already done. I want to beat yeah. them around the Nürburgring and Laguna Seca and Pikes Peak because that's still fresh territory to conquer. Um, and I think that, you know, the nature of what you're describing early on is very much just, you know, Elon and the engineering team's confidence that this car can be great at everything, but they have to prove that bit by bit. And every step of the way, there was technolo- technology hurdles that weren't yet ready. A great example is my old Model S was a great car in a straight line, but after a minute, it would overheat on a racetrack. So it yeah. was not a really fun car to bring to Button Willow or Laguna Seca because you got a minute and then you got frustrated. Um, whereas the new generation of car is far superior at that. So over time, the remaining things that Tesla doesn't win on get chipped away. You know, People can argue about range, but at a certain point, range becomes a number that has no meaning because you don't want to drive that long without taking a break. Mm-hmm. All these things become metrics that at some point don't matter anymore as technology thrives and wins. And we're just trying to be an accelerant uh, in that, you know, conceptually, as far as showing new things that Tesla can do better. Uh, and that's not limited to lap times or racing. It can be off-roading. It can be comfort. It could be, yeah. you know, helping to extend the, the range. One of the products that we have, which doesn't fit really many unique aspects, is we uh, developed in CFD parts that help the car go further range more efficiently for the Model 3. We call it an efficiency package. Um, there's always things we can do to, to make the car better. And that's the beauty of, of the aftermarket because we, the, so the thing about us, by the way, and this is a question that I want to dispel. Some people say, Oh, you, you think you're smarter than Tesla. You can do things they can't do. No, that's, that's hundred percent. Not it. We, we do the things that they don't want to do and can't do because they're a large car manufacturer. So when we add range to a car, what we're doing are things that they maybe didn't want to do because either some obscure homologation rule for selling a car overseas. Like one of them is there's a ramp angle of how you can load a car into a ferry. 
we don't care about loading cars into ferries. So the angle in which we design our front lip spoiler doesn't abide by that. And we're cheating that system. And maybe Tesla could have done it and didn't, don't know. But most of the advantages we have is we play by a different rule book in terms of the, the options we can take. Uh, and for Tesla, they want to make one thing and make it a million times. So it's not that we're smarter or better. It's just that we play by a different rule set. Right. And they're, you know, they're, KPIs, as it were, are different. Like they, you know, if they they could maybe do the things that you're doing, not maybe they definitely could. But what's the ROI on that for them when they're, you know, they, they're a publicly traded company that has. And the key, has the key own. thing is, the key thing is not so much ROI as opportunity cost, which is the same yeah. the same subject. But the opportunity yeah. cost of taking their eye off the ball of high scale production is very painful. So they just yeah. don't have bandwidth to even think about these things. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was going to ask you, but and you kind of answered the question already. I was going to say, like, that that you unplugged performance moving in right next door to the Tesla Design Studio had to be intentional. But it fact, it sounds like it was a complete freak coincidence that has changed your life. We were actually here before they were technically. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I started in 2000, and our our offices were down the street in Gardena in 2004. I think Tesla opened up here. I want to say 2008, if I had to guess. So we, we've been in the neighborhood before they were really active, and it's just pure coincidence, which is kind of cool. That's really great. Now, uh, do you remember what? Presumably, it was on your 2013 P85 Plus Model S. Do you remember your first? Tesla modification to to your own car, no matter how small it may have been? Yeah. Uh, well, it was a lot of things at once. So <laughs> once I decided that this needed to happen, and when I said needed to happen, what I mean is creating this idea of modifying electric cars as a as a uh, enthusiast movement, there's a, there's a recipe for making that work. And that recipe is very similar. My older origins of ushering and some Japanese cartooning was the same idea. You kind of learn what excites people and what's fun to do. So we, we started by hiring a carbon fiber manufacturing team. We brought in the guy from Italy, from Ferrari's Formula One team. We brought in the guy from Seattle, from Boeing. And we started uh, from scratch, all in-house, making uh, body panels that are carbon fiber that made the car look exciting. So the first things we did was basically make uh, carbon fiber aero kit. Uh, we lowered the car. We uh, put some 22 inch wheels on it, um, and uh, we brought it out to uh, an event called TMC Connect back. I want to say in 2013 or 2014, as kind of the first car that had a whole bunch of modifications done to it. And the you know the the reality for car enthusiasts is most people start by looking at something and saying that excites me, and then they go deeper into what does it drive like and what does it break like. But the first step you have to hook someone visually and say, oh, that's something that I'm interested in and I want to learn more about. So without that, nothing starts. Oh, that's cool. No, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Now, uh, speaking of cool, you you uh, you recently uh, there was a post from from uh, none other than Mr. Franz von Holzhausen himself, the chief designer at Tesla. He brought his personal model th- uh, model three to you guys. For some mods, so I'm curious, what did Franz have done, and uh, yeah. and what was it like to just hang have him in the shop and and just chat, talk Tesla with him a little bit? Yeah, um, I've been I'm, I'm grateful we can talk about this because this is not a new thing. This has been around for for a while. Franz was a customer of ours right when pretty close to when the Model Three came out yeah. um, with that car, and you know our our default is that we don't 
name customers or talk about things unless we're granted the opportunity to, because I feel like that trust is oftentimes trust is misused very often. Um, and you know, as full disclosure, we're, we're under NDA with, with Tesla. So there's pretty, we're pretty much used to saying nothing about anything. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm accustomed to that. So it was only recently that I was chatting with Franz and he was like, yeah, talk about it. It's cool. No big deal. So, uh, I'm thankful that I can even talk about it because, you know, if you, if you imagine, our excitement and, and just pride of being a part of, of this visionary guy who designed the car of seeing our parts on his car. We spent four years saying nothing. And every time people would see the car and see that it was lowered on our suspension, we were silent and no one knew anything about it. So it was yeah. one of those things where we, you know, we, we love our, our clients, whoever they are, but this one's very special to us because, you know, he created these amazing cars that we get to modify. Um, and yeah, since then we've done a bunch of, of up, updates to it, which is really fun. Um, we have at this point we have our our suspension, our coilover suspension on it, um, which is adjustable for height and for for ride comfort. We have our sway bars on it. We have our um, all of our suspension arms on it, front and back, uh, for you know comfort and adjustability and, and adjustability of alignment. Uh, we have all of our brakes on as well. We have a big brake kit on there now with our carbon ceramic rotors, front and back. Um, everything basically that we do that doesn't touch design is on there. And as you yeah. can imagine, I'm a little bit apprehensive to change the design of a designer's car because you really <laughs> don't want to, don't want to step on their toes there. This is his baby as far as how it looks. So I, I leave that to him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I had the pleasure of interviewing him on two episode 220. Yeah, it was, it would, it was same thing. It was just really cool to get to talk to the guy that designed my car that I love so much. It was just, a, it's amazing. I'd never yeah. had that experience with any other car <laughs> I've never never met any any of the other car designers of cars I've had before. Yeah. So that I've fun. actually I've thankfully had the pleasure of working closely with Tamura San, who developed the R thirty five, and with Tala San, who developed the eighty six for Toyota. So I've, I'm I'm used to working with engineers and designers, but um, in this case, you know, he's he's our neighbor and our client and our inspiration. So it's very special. It's a very special uh, relationship. And, uh, and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about another Von Holzhausen a little later in this interview. We'll get to that. But uh, I, now I want to pivot to just talk a little racing for, a, for just a minute here. Uh, I've had Randy Popes on the show after, I believe, his first Pikes Peak run. Now, nice. Randy, professional race car driver, he'd done a ton of work with Motor Trend. And he was yeah. this. this uh, how did you come to, to end up partnering up with Randy? How did that relationship start? I end up with some really amazing collaborations that blow my own mind sometimes. The most recent one, which is the most obscure of all, is I partner with Trey Parker from South Park, which is just like the weirdest collaboration because there's no automotive connection. He's not even a car guy. Uh, so that's really unusual. Uh, Koenigsegg is another one, which is unusual. So all, all of these things have this kind of strange, unexpected uh, thing. And I, I don't have a perfect answer as to how we build these relationships other than I think just authenticity and passion. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, anyone who looks at what we do can understand that we do it for the love, not for the money. And in most cases we make choices that are really bad on the money side, but are just because it's, it's the purest way of doing things. And, you know, while that doesn't always bring in the big dollars, I think it brings in a lot of interesting relationships and respect because people know that we come with, with a pure heart. Uh, and Randy, I think was a very similar way where, you know, he could just tell we were really excited about this. And I told him that, you know, I, I've, I've been a fan of his for a long time. He's, he's a, he's an American icon and legend in motorsports. Even in college, I had, you know, one of, uh, 
one of his cars on my wall, uh, you know, going way back. So, um, you know, for Randy, it was the, the origins of it were that I wanted someone who had driven and experienced every kind of car to help us on product development, to give us feedback on our suspension and to get involved in Tesla Corsa. So what we did was we brought him out to drive a bunch of our different packages on the Model 3 yeah. to give continuing feedback on our suspension. And we did a, uh, a really cool uh, driver coaching experience for all of our Tesla Corsa drivers where Randy spent you know an hour in the classroom and talked about driving technique and then did some one-on-ones with some of the guys. And you know, it was it was really fun. And then from there... He always said he wanted to run Pikes Peak, and I was always <laughs> – I'd wanted to run Pikes Peak. Uh, I wanted to run a team to do it. Actually, uh, uh, we, we were going to uh, go into Pikes Peak a couple of years before that, and we had a, a partner who was going to share half the costs in Europe who, after we paid our entry fee, ended up flaking on us, and we had mm-hmm. to kind of bail out. Um, but, yeah, fun, fun and strange fact, we were going to race uh, an older Model S P85D against Faraday, and um, we were uh, going to have Dai as our driver, who now uh, races for Evasive. Uh, hmm. We were signed up, and then we just we couldn't afford to foot the bill on our own, and we lost our other partner. So that got delayed a couple years, and the rest is history. Well, yeah, that history. So uh, second year now for Pikes Peak, and I want to go uh, with the Model S Plaid. And I just want to back up to last year with this, because... Uh, I was just having fun following along with this whole thing as, as you guys were just working around the clock to get it done because Pike's <laughs> Peak came, it hit right, like the, the Model S Plaid, the first deliveries were, you know, whatever, June, you probably remember the date exactly. It was somewhere around like June 12th, June 10th, something like that. Right in the middle of June there, I was at the launch event, first customer deliveries, and you uh, had to put together a car a plaid for Pikes Peak in in literal days, and then you ran a heck of an event afterwards. You guys did great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was that was uh, quite an experience. Yeah, they uh, they they launched the plaid, and uh, it was either twenty four or forty eight hours later, we were racing wow. a plaid race car at Laguna Seca. Um, <laughs> you know that that was our initial test, and we always try to do a little bit of shakedown and dial the car in before we get the to Pikes Peak. But this was a real real challenging schedule to uh to, to accomplish and that caught a lot of people by surprise because we were you know we were messaging to everyone we were going to race our model three again and we were we were actually building the model three for 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 a while to do that and then did a last minute pivot which i think surprised a lot of people uh, i expect or i i suspect that uh there were a lot of a lot of the other driving teams were were asking a lot of questions about the plaid that first year um, you know, what's, what's fascinating still is that I think people are still wrapping their heads around whether a Tesla can be a great race car and the, the lap times I think are a resounding yes, but on paper, it's a very strange car to race. You know, even this year or last year for that matter, we're racing at Pikes Peak. The Pikes Peak is not a normal thing. Most people, when they think about racing, they think, oh, how does this compare to this car that I know? You know, how does this yeah. compare to a Lamborghini or a McLaren? Pikes Peak has roughly 90 entries. And the cars there, most of them are like absurd, crazy, dedicated from the ground up race builds to just do one thing, which is to race this mountain. And those cars usually weigh 2,000 pounds less than our four-door, daily-driven, mass-produced sedan. Right. So when you build a race car that weighs almost 5,000 pounds and has four doors and two trunks and autopilot and all these crazy things, and you race against purpose-built race cars, no one really knows how to interpret that. Everyone thinks 
it's just strange because it is strange. It, it's it's strange that the plaid with motorsports equipment like we do can even be in the conversation against purpose-built race cars that are just a totally different platform and design and everything is different. Uh, nonetheless, it happens to go really fast. And, uh, you know, we were always mind boggled over it. Um, you know, like we, 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 we look at, uh, an example of a car that I'd love looking at because just a fascinating, uh, debate is, uh, Porsche has many, many fast cars. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm a big fan of Porsche. Uh, when you look at their 911, it's iconic. They have the GT3, which is fast. They have the GT3 RS, which is faster. They have the GT2 RS, which is the fastest. And then they have this multi-million dollar, they call it a 935, which is so fast that it's not street legal. It costs a couple million dollars, and it's basically Porsche's unlimited budget modification version of their fastest car, which is GT2 yeah. RS. And that car has raced the past two years with the driver, Jeffrey Zort, who is a legend, very, very famous driver, raced that mountain many times. And I love comparing our plaid versus that because it's just such an absurd comparison to think a company like Porsche with their fastest car and unlimited budget versus a car that is a mass production sedan that we've modified. Should these things even be debated? It just makes it, right. it makes it interesting to even have the conversation. And it just so happens that, you know, we were um, uh, faster. Uh, if you combine qualifying and the midsection, we were faster than that car with the plaid. Uh, this year, which uh, I didn't even expect to be a conversation. Uh, in the end, the, the event was a challenge for other reasons, but in terms of the ability to put down power and brake and handle cornering and do all the dynamic things that separate an event like this from drag racing, this goes back to the earlier conversation. You know, we, we all want to advocate that electric cars have benefits for a wide variety of use cases. Trying to take a really heavy mass-produced car and race against the best car Porsche can make for the unlimited budget they have and having it be even in the conversation, never mind the split second faster, mind-blowing even to me. And we put a lot of time into this. It shouldn't even be possible. But the technology under, underpinning the Plaid is so good that you know these things are even a possibility. And uh, Mother Nature did you in this year, did she not? Yeah, there's a lot of things about Pikes Peak regarding, you know, a race against the mountain, a race against nature. They say the mountain decides. There's all these different <laughs> things because it's uh, – the mountain does decide. You know, it, it's – you know, when, when you when you race against an environment, usually it's a track like Laguna Seca or these kinds of things. That track is always the same. You can go there and you can learn from your past experiences and you can maybe test a few times and you can dial it in. Um, Pikes Peak is just the most – frustrating crazy stupid amazing it just it, it's an extreme race on all levels and the reason i say that is because the road actually moves like week by week because like the the climate and the mountain changes and moves and the expansion with temperature changes the road conditions are different every year and they're terrible to begin with so in the best case they're terrible in a worst case like they're deadly and that's just the road conditions. And then you have the fact that the weather changes based on altitude. So you might have good or bad weather at different sections of the track. And then you only get to do the damn race one time a year and you don't ever get to practice it. You actually can't ever run it during practice. You can only run sections. You can't run the whole thing. So you go up there and you spend all this time to prepare to do something. In our case, it takes about a month of preparation to even get up there. And then the bottom line is like, you, you don't really have much control over a whole lot. Uh, you know, you make the car as fast as you can make it, get the drivers prepared as they can be. And then on race day, it is what it is. Uh, and there's no other race that I know that can be that frustrating where 
you can have all these what ifs and no answers for any of them. That there's Pike something pure about that. that though, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what, what makes it frustrating is what makes it unique, which is what makes it amazing, which is what hooks you. And this is the challenge that I was kind of joking about after this last race is I feel like, you know, the year before we, we won our division against, you know, some open wheel race cars and some really, really, really crazy stuff. And when you win, you feel like you have to go back to defend your victory. Sure. And then if you don't do well and something happens, you feel like you have to go back to see what it could have done. And you start running through these scenarios and you realize, oh, damn, like I'm signed up for life because no matter what happens, I feel like I have to go back. Like there's very few scenarios where you think, okay, I've done that. I'm finished. I've proven what I need to prove. So it, it hooks people and people go back over and over because there's always unfinished business up there. Well, what lessons? So what lessons from this year are you going to apply for next year? Oh, um, you know, first of all, as heartbreaking as it was that we couldn't, you know, get a, get a full run in uh, for for people who probably don't know anything about what I'm talking about. What happened this this past uh, year, last month, was that we had um, horrible weather where there was no visibility. There was really heavy fog, and drivers couldn't see. Yeah. And we had a much more extreme disadvantage in that uh, about halfway through the race, our windshield fogged up in the direct location of line of sight for the driver. So you couldn't see through the windshield. Even if you could, you couldn't see outside. So it was being blind. It was being blindfolded twice. And the, the challenge was um, in a conventional car that has uh, knobs or dials, the driver wouldn't know how to just turn that and crank the, uh, the defroster up. Uh, in our case, the windows were down, so that was potentially helpful, but not enough. And the defroster was on, but it wasn't on max. Mm-hmm. And it was an oversight for us that this could even be a possibility with the windows down and the defroster on like level two or three. And yeah, in hindsight, if we ran the defroster on max, or if maybe we did some anti-fog treatments of the windshield or something else, in hindsight, there's a lot of easy ways we could have solved it. Um, but the nature of Pike's Peak is that it's always something like this that gets you. Uh, there's an infinite number of problems lurking around the corner. Usually those problems are damage to the car during practice and parts breaking and failing. So we bring a lot of spares now. In fact, I jokingly say the best way to prepare for Pike's Peak is to have a second car on standby, which we, we had to do our first time when we totaled our Model 3 and had to buy another car to rebuild our first car to get up yeah. to the top of the mountain on race day. Um, it, it, it's an event that's extremely stupid uh, to do. And if you're dumb enough to do it, you need to be ready to, to fight to the death to get it done, um, which is a real test of, of character. Um, and in our case, you know, when, when we had to, to rebuild a, a totaled car that had the frame bent and the drive units broken front and back and the subframes broken front and back and everyone told us we couldn't rebuild it. The only reason I think we did was because it was Tesla. Um, when I thought about it with our previous experience with other cars, it's kind of like, you know, okay, it didn't work out for me. I'm going to go home. But, um, with Tesla, with what we were doing, something that's in the water here in Hawthorne, I jokingly say that, but really it's being around SpaceX and being around Tesla as our neighbors that, I feel like it changed us, not because we are Tesla stockholders or invest in Unplugged, but because we think more deeply about adversity being just something that can be overcome versus something to quit. And we fight a lot deeper than most people are willing to fight. And we don't really know when to give up because that's part of the Tesla and SpaceX DNA. And I think we just kind of have absorbed some of that. Uh, I want to talk about another awesome thing you guys have going on because there are many. And that is your recent partnership with Koenigsegg. So you and Koenigsegg are teaming up to make a bunch of carbon fiber stuff 
for all of the four Teslas. I, I got to know how that came to be because that, that must have been <laughs> at some point that must have been either a fun phone call or, or yeah. something. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I have heard I've read that that Christian von Koenigsegg is a Tesla fan himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've even heard that he has a, a Model 3 as a daily driver. I don't know if that's yeah. true. But yeah, yeah I, I'm curious how this partnership comes about. Yeah, we're 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 very fortunate that we have these partners who arguably don't need us at all. They just happen to like us and want to see us succeed. And that's an amazing uh, bit of goodwill that we it's never lost on us. Koenigsegg, for anyone who doesn't know, is similar to brands like Ferrari and Bugatti that are just really, really uncompromising, expensive cars. The difference is arguably Koenigsegg. Yeah, arguably Koenigsegg's cars are better than a Ferrari or Bugatti because they outperform them, they cost more, and they're just more special. They, they, I think they started about $5 million a car. So when you think about, you know, it'd be the same thing if someone said, oh, Ferrari's manufacturing for us. It's like that, except Koenigsegg is actually even a smaller company and even harder to get to become a partner. Um, and they make the best stuff in the world as far as I'm concerned. So it's unusual that they manufacture parts for us on the same assembly line as their $5 million cars because we're having parts made that even will go on a Model Y. It's a very weird concept that you have only $5 million cars and then Model Y parts. Like it's, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to justify. Um, but you know, it's, it's exactly what you described. You know, the Christian von Koenigsegg, the, the founder is, I've always thought of him very similarly to how I think of Elon in terms of being a very pure engineer. Um, the difference is they work from different constraints. Engineering, it starts with what's the problem you're trying to solve. In Elon's case, that's very well known the problem he's trying to solve, and he's done a, a fantastic job of staying focused on that through all of his enterprises. Christian's problem he's trying to solve is totally different. He just wants to make the ultimate driving experience. He doesn't care what it costs, and he doesn't care if he has one customer. He just wants to build an uncompromising you know, tour de force of, of engineering and technology. Um, but both of both people are purists in that engineering drives them and they're both amazing innovators. They just innovate on different metrics. So it's no question or surprise that Christian von Koenigsegg admires what Tesla's done and Elon's done because engineers are fans of engineers. Um, and both of them, I think, are very much leaders in, in their field. They're just operating at different things. So for us, you know, I what I what I think about is how to make the ultimate Tesla and the ultimate experience for Tesla owners. And I always thought, man, if I can merge these worlds somehow, like bring, bring the best of both, that would be an amazing value to be created for, for, for anyone who likes cars. Um, so uh, Christian handful of years ago, similar to Franz became a customer. Um, uh, and I, I had learned that he was actively involved driving a model three and also a model S he drives both. Um, and uh, ended up becoming also uh, close with a number of people on their team, including uh, their their head designer, who previously designed the Bugatti Chiron. He also designed the Lamborghini wow. Huracan. He designed the Koenigsegg Gemera. So uh, their designer is is a friend, and uh, we're doing some projects with him separately. Uh, and then uh, Christian von Koenigsegg uh, and their team said, hey, you know, our factory is your factory. Let's talk about engineering and production, and we can do stuff together. And so... We've been working together on uh, you know a handful of things that are just trying to have fun and make cool stuff. Well, let's f- for my audience that's curious that, that might like well wait a second can I get a, a a Koenigsegg unplugged performance carbon fiber piece for my car? You've got spoilers, right? Is that a, and, and are there anything else? What's, what's spoiler the lineup alert. of the Koenigsegg stuff? 
yeah, we, we definitely have spoilers for the uh, Model S, uh, for the Model X, uh, Model 3 and Model Y. Um, we have a handful of things that are evolving. Um, we have some front fenders for the Model 3, which are probably way too expensive for that car, but are beautiful. Um, but what, what's interesting is we're, we're going we're gonna to do some lifestyle stuff that anyone can get. So that's going to be pretty fun. Actually, you know, one of the things that maybe, you know, is, is a theme is I like working with people that inspire me. And I like kind of connecting the dots of inspiration. So we're coming up with something that we haven't talked about yet, but it's, it's small but neat. We're making a, uh, a keychain uh, that's Koenigsegg carbon fiber. Uh, and that utilizes von Holzhausen bamboo leather as well. So we're kind oh, cool. of linking together all the people, all the people that we love. It's going to be a Koenigsegg von Holzhausen unplugged little mini product. It's not going to be super expensive. Anyone can get it. It's stupid little things that make us happy. Um, so we're we're doing stuff like that as well. Just trying to just trying to bring a piece of the best of the world to others because a lot of car fans I think appreciate Koenigsegg and these best of the world things, but they're not going to spend five million dollars on a car. So if I can get them you know, a keychain for less than a hundred bucks or whatever it is. That's just, it's being able to touch something that previously was untouchable. Oh, I love that. I love that. Now, speaking of uh, Von Holzhausen, as you just mentioned, that is Vicky Von Holzhausen, Franz's wife. She's an accomplished automotive designer herself who now yes. does uh, vegan fashion design. You have partnered up with her to offer the, the aforementioned, you mentioned the bamboo leather. It is a vegan uh, material made from bamboo. You are yeah. doing custom interiors with this material. Uh, it is, it, I, how does that work? So you got to give me the origin story here. Like, does, <laughs> does this, does this happen through Franz? Does, does Vicky reach out after Franz is, you know, talking about you at home or what, like what, what's the oh, origin man. there? Yeah. I'm trying to think of how it even started. I'm, so a little bit of background. Um, Franz and Vicky met through the automotive industry when they were both working at GM. And uh, Vicky has had an amazing career, uh, mostly on interiors. Uh, I believe yeah. she worked for Mercedes as well. Um, and you know, people oftentimes confuse Von Holzhausen because the last name now is iconic with Franz. That's being Franz's company. It is not. It is definitely Vicky's business. Franz has got his hands full with doing plenty of stuff with Tesla. So this is really Vicky's thing. Um, and Vicky... I think found a very amazing opportunity in that she recognized that if she can innovate on material science and create a product that arguably is better than leather, that feels and looks like leather, but that is eco-friendly, that that's a big opportunity for the world to experience. And she created this company, which the real strength of the business is the intellectual property they created around these different materials that can be used for a million different things. Um, you know, in, and I've been following her journey for a while, uh, which up until recently was mostly, you see mostly media around women's handbags and accessories. And they sell to Apple. So there's some, there's some Apple product. Um, so it was always something in the back of my mind of, you know, why can't this be applied to automotive? Uh, it makes perfect sense. And I think that the philosophy that most people that listen to this podcast share, which is Tesla's philosophy, is this idea of sustainability. And sure. in my point of view, my philosophy is more specifically sustainability without compromising on the quality and value of whatever you're doing. Like I, I want sustainability without any compromise. And um, she has just made these amazing materials that can be applied to anything. And I, I think she has a really strong future and and hopefully a lot of car manufacturers may be using this material because I think it makes a really great interior. 
Um, but this is probably still early days for that. So we had the, you know, a, a amazing situation uh, where we're basically uh, first customer for for you know this material use that obviously works well for. And we have we have a collaboration backpack that's a co-branded Unplugged Bunhole's housing backpack. It works great for backpacks. It works great for laptop bags and for all the things they've been doing. But automotive seating makes perfect sense. So we're out there doing that now. Yeah, and and on that note, you so you've got there's one car for sure that exists so far, and that car is a new Model S, and it is up for a raffle on Omaze that benefits charity. It benefits the Juju Foundation. Now yes. this this is a the Von Holzhausen interior package with the bamboo that Unplugged Performance offers, it is not cheap. It is a $30,000 interior package. So I'm just curious. I mean, that's 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 a lot of money by any metric. And I'm not saying it isn't worth it because I haven't, you know, I haven't experienced it. But that's actually exactly what I want to ask you. Can you describe to me and to anybody listening like how it really feels both to the touch, but also the, the vibe of it. Like, can you do your best to kind of quantify what this experience is like with this material, with the Von Holzhausen interior? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's important for us that you don't need to spend $30,000 to experience it. You know, we're, we're doing these keychains uh, and backpacks and other items that, that yeah. we're a part of where you can, you can have that at a fraction of that cost and experience it. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the feeling of it is, well, the bamboo leather in particular, they have two, they have two different kinds of leather. They have a, a technic leather, which is amazingly, I can't figure this out, made out of recycled plastic bottles, which is mind blowing and, and implant, plant, implant material combined. And then the bamboo leather, which is made out of bamboo, obviously, uh, both of them are amazing. The backpack is made out of the, the leather that uses the recycled bottles and, and implant uh, product and then the bamboo that we do on the car interiors. Both of them are a little bit different. The backpack has more of a um, uh, a textured surface, if you will, and the bamboo is a smooth surface. But the bamboo, you know, pre previous to this, I'll give you an example. Previous to this, we've always done custom interiors. Actually, one of the recipe of our of our original 2013 Model S was we ripped out the full interior and we made the whole interior out of Alcantara, which is a man-made material and. I would maybe argue that might have been one of the first vegan interiors. We 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 actually jokingly called it a vegan interior back then because for us we didn't feel there was a demand for it. We just thought it was almost funny that there was no leather in it. Um, but yeah, back then we were using Alcantara to do the full interior of that car. And in this case, um, oh yeah, what I was getting to was that we used to use Ferrari leather, Porsche leather, Rolls Royce leather, whatever customers would ask us to source. We would get the highest grade materials and use it. I would say the bamboo leather is very similar to Ferrari leather. Um, I, I would argue that it actually feels a little bit better than Ferrari leather. Uh, and it also has a couple benefits of being lighter weight for automotive purists and being uh, more resistant to, to wear. It's, uh, it's more resistance to stains and to wrinkles. Um, I think it'll wear a lot better over time, although it's still pretty early. So for me, you know, it's always great when you feel like you have a product that wins at everything and is good for the environment because then you can sleep well at night and also know that you have the best stuff. And uh, I, I, I think we're at you know an inflection point as far as materials for for automotive use and otherwise, where this you know it's kind of like Beyond Meat and the you know the the various meat companies. I'm not sure that's really perfected yet, but I feel like in a handful of years I'm going to be able to have like the best meat ever that's synthetic versus natural, yeah. and I feel like. 
we're maybe there now with interiors where this has no compromise and is better than than you know animal based leather already. Yeah, and I'm even I'm even starting to finally see other automakers advertise specifically vegan interior, which was not a thing we saw up until you know Tesla really started pushing that envelope. It's great. There's awareness for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was unfortunate. The customers never had a choice originally. I think the choice is the most important thing. And thankfully we're at an inflection point where people are knowing they can ask for it. And that's really great because everything is, is consumer driven. You know, on our side, we started unplugged when there was no customer and tried to go top down and to show our philosophy and, and create a community. But the most powerful thing is when community asks for things, the market comes to them. So if people ask for this stuff, it'll continue to grow. And and to give it a plug here, because again the so the the car actually can you speak a little bit more about the the specific the car the unplugged performance modified Model S that is being raffled because again a it's it's for a good cause uh, the raffle tickets I actually bought some myself I went on Omaze oh, and, and I entered because cool. why not uh, yeah. and it's you know supporting the the Juju Foundation uh, and it's but you guys have done quite a number on this car aside from the interior. Yeah, we've done a lot. So, so Omaze, by the way, is a fantastic organization. They raise a ton of money for charity, and they partner with different charities and give away everything from from homes to all kinds of crazy stuff. And they do some high-end cars. Um, originally, I think the first Tesla Omaze gave away was Kimball Musk's original Model 3. Uh, I remember that. Neat back, back in the day. And uh, yeah, so we, we have this thing we call the S-Apex program. Uh, a lot of our branding terminology is borrowed from SpaceX. So we have the Ascension, the Apex, these kind of things are rocketry terms. Um, is how we kind of think of it just to, as an ode to our neighbors. Um, our S Apex is what we consider to be the pinnacle of what the Model S can be. It's a carbon fiber Y body with upgraded suspension, brakes, wheels, and we do a full custom interior on the car. We've been making S Apexes about four or five years now. Um, they generally run about $130,000 plus the base car. So it's like right. $250,000, $260,000 car. It's definitely not for everyone, um, but we feel that you know, the pinnacle of what the Model S Plaid performance can be is this. So this is our, our best version or our apex of, of what the technology can bring for a perfect street-driven car. And for the interiors, thankfully now about Holzhausen material is a possibility. This is the first one that we've done that is not uh, animal leather and that is von Holzhausen leather. I hope we get to do many more like that. And Omaze is taking this amazing car and, and having it uh, up as a raffle. Someone's going to win it for not that much of an investment. And uh, we've done this a couple times with Omaze. This is our second S Apex and our third or fourth car in general. And we're actually just starting another uh, really cool project for Omaze that'll debut in November. So it's, it's, again, you know, one of these things where you can feel like you're doing something awesome and also feel like you're adding to humanity is a really, really nice win-win. I, I love those things. Yeah, and uh, for anybody interested that wants to to get some raffle tickets and have a chance to win this again, money's going to a good cause. You can go on omaze.com and, and just search for it. Or it's also there. I found there's a nice easy link right on uh, von Holzhausen.com slash pages slash unplugged dash performance. That's another way in to that Omaze giveaway as well. Now, uh, Ben, before I let you go, I, I was poking around the website to get ready for this interview and I saw that you've you've got a couple of other interesting things on that website of yours. Under Cybertruck, it says, we are working on the ultimate version of the Tesla Cybertruck that will allow our customers to experience the electrified off-roading and high performance like nothing out there. 
The complete unplugged performance Cybertruck conversion program is set to be released in, well, I guess you've got to update the date on there. It says like 2022. <laughs> we <all> <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> we'll all that Switch that up a little bit. But uh, yeah. so it sounds like, are you doing a big old cool lift kit for the Cybertruck? We should update it to just two weeks. And just continue as two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it'll be right. Check back in two weeks. Ready in two weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we we definitely have some exciting plans for Cybertruck. Uh, it's too early to get too deep in, into what those plans are, but I think you can imagine. You know, much like when we when we opened this conversation and talked about there, there's no one size fits all answer. You know, yeah. it you have to you have to think about. I always think about what's the furthest potential, what the technology can be, and then I try to build that outcome. And the beauty for us is that Tesla always leaves stuff on the table because for Tesla, they can't make a million carbon copies of it. They're probably not going to do it. Um, So, so that leaves a lot of room for us to play in terms of all the, you know, if if you imagine the technology of what it can do and take it to the furthest extremes of different use cases, it's a fascinating future ahead. So we we got a lot of stuff in the works, but uh, yeah, two weeks from now. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you say that Tesla always leaves something on the table and you're mostly right. But the Roadster, the next generation Tesla Roadster, in theory, should be a car that leaves nothing on the table. But I disagree on on your website. Yes, you have uh, a Tesla Roadster section and where you, you specifically say we are working on the performance and visual products for the Tesla Roadster. So uh any any little hints as to what you've got in mind in either of those categories? Well, bear, bear in mind, even I think Tesla will say that until the product is ready, they're not even sure what they're making because they change their <laughs> mind quite a lot internally. As you can see, you know, there's twists yeah. and turns with, with every product in development until launch day. I, and even after launch, you still see changes. Like on the Model sure. S Plaid, we've seen so many changes. People think the taillights and headlights just retrofit. They do not. There's a lot of changes on that car that happen even when the headlights and taillights change. Yeah. So um, I can't speak nor can anyone on what the future will bring for the vehicle. What I can tell you is that any mass-produced car inherently leaves something on the table because they're designing a car for someone's grandmother to drive. Maybe not the Roadster, but but for most cars, they're <laughs> – you know, for, for most cars, they're, they're designing it for our friends in Norway with cold weather. They're designing it for people of any age. They're designing people of any preference or style in terms of usability. So you can always imagine there's opportunity to make a car that can go faster and be better just by changing the dials a little bit, making it maybe a little bit less friendly as daily driver and more attuned for the track or... Right. You know, whatever it may be. And the, the other hint I will, I will tell you is that one of the key reasons strategically why it was important for me to partner with Koenigsegg is because of the Roadster. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have a, an obvious price point challenge of trying to offer Koenigsegg parts for a Model Y. But when it comes to the Roadster, we can take more liberties with the stuff we can develop because we feel that, you know, whatever, whatever the Roadster is, it'll be a very good value in a high-volume hypercar. Um, yeah. And that always leaves an opportunity to have a car that is not as good of a value, but is much more uncompromising and extreme in terms of how it's developed. And, you know, if you take our recipe and say, okay, you know, if our Model S Plaid is almost twice the price of Model S and has all these amazing things, what can we do with twice the price of a Roadster? And the answer is a lot. So if there's a customer that'll support a Roadster at 2x the price, we're going to build something that is absolutely insane. And these things will happen. For sure. I look forward to seeing that. That'll be cool. All right. Two more questions before I let you go here. I've kept you Bring it an on. hour already. No, I love uh, this. Keep it going. 
Oh, I'm having a ball too. I appreciate your time. Are there any plans to work with non-Tesla EVs at Unplugged Performance? You know, it's been so hard to develop such a wide range of products uh, in terms of, you know, in the aftermarket, usually companies are really good at one or two things. They're really good at just making suspension. They're really good at just making yeah. wheels. They're really good at just making carbon fiber. For us to develop a complete car program, we had to become great at all the different components that make a car great. And most of the secret of that is that we recruit and attract the best talent and engineers at factories to accomplish it, which is not not easy. So the, the root of your question is that the hard work is done. We know how to work with the best manufacturers and engineers to develop what we feel are some of the best products that you know someone like even France who's seen everything chooses to, to trust us on that. Um, so we could do that for any car without that much work uh, because the hard stuff is done. However, uh, we have a fierce loyalty to Tesla, which is, I think, obvious at this point. Sure. Um, and also, we're quite busy trying to keep up with Tesla. And, you know, the, the, the situation changed where it used to be that we were fighting for people to want to buy Teslas and Teslas weren't that popular. And we had very few people who we could even talk to about modifying. And it changed now where we have to run as fast as they run, which is damn near impossible. So we're... <laughs> You know, we're, we're going as fast as we can on product development and engineering and, and staffing and trying to just keep up because they keep making new cars and keep changing their cars. And every time they do that, we have to engineer new solutions. So uh, we're really busy. Um, and because we're so busy, you know, could we do the same things for Lucid or Rivian? Of course we could. And it probably would be relatively easy, um, you know, after all the stuff we've done. But I don't really see uh, a, a driving need for that on our end. Um, and, you know, we, we love Tesla and there's more work to be done. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, you, can, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. It makes a lot of sense. All right, last question for you, Ben, here. Share with me your vision for what unplugged performance looks like in five years from now. Um, man, well, I, I love pushing the envelope with Tesla and all the different products they have. So part of that would be trying to envision what products are out there in the market from Tesla in five years. There's always something exciting to, to try to make better or different. Um, I, I really don't think there's going to be a point in time, maybe ever for Tesla, where they feel like they want to devote resources to motorsports or to custom work or whatever it may be. So I, 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 I think we have a value add that we create for these different use cases. Another example, by the way, is we had a client with a wheelchair who wanted to buy a Model X Plaid, desperately wanted it, but Tesla wouldn't make any solution that would allow him to put the wheelchair in the back. And we were able to retrofit the car and he's driving a Model X Plaid and loving it, but he wouldn't be in that car if there weren't solutions being made. So I think, you know, where we're at in five years looks a lot like whatever the Tesla product roadmap is in five years. Yeah. And what, and what you know, more niche use cases there are to either show the extremes of the technology through motorsports or show the use cases through different customizations. And our, our main focus is to whatever we do to build a car that looks, feels, and functions like Tesla could have made it themselves. Everything we do should look appropriate on a Tesla showroom floor and should be something that doesn't compromise in its aesthetic and its function. Uh, that's really important to us. And I think the aftermarket generally fails pretty miserably at being too extreme in one category or another and not giving the cohesive design and engineering thought that car manufacturers do. It's really important for us to, to hit the right notes in terms of design and function. And uh, 
yeah, as long as Tesla keeps growing, it's it's impossible to even imagine where Tesla's at in five years and with the kind of work we have to do to keep up with that. But we're we're having fun and just pushing. Well, so all right. So in five years, is if if Tesla wants to acquire Unplugged Performance to make you their M division, as it were, is would that be an awesome thing, or would that be a would you you know is it nice? Are you just happy to kind of still have total control over your own thing and just be next door? It's hard to speculate on what ifs. Um, you know, the, 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 thing, the thing for us is really that we, we love the freedom and flexibility to add our own value as we see it yeah. onto the product. And for the moment, it's, it's fantastic because we, we just go based on, on feeling. We go based on what we think the platform can, can need to benefit from. And that degree of, of freedom from design and engineering is, is fantastic that we can do that. Um, and, you know, we, as long as we can keep doing that in some form or another, I'm very happy because I, I, I have the satisfaction of seeing smiling customer faces and, and, and changing how people think about, about Teslas and EVs doing these events. And, uh, man, you know, the, the, I, I'll, I'll give you a closing thought from my side, which is something Please. that I share with people, people in the industry. I share this with not so much on podcasts. The most depressing thing for me before I started Unplugged was I felt like I was in a dying industry where everyone that was already a car enthusiast was in there, was going to phase out, and no one young was going to care. And the most uplifting thing that I have is seeing customers who have never modified a car before, never been to a track before, never done any of these things, getting pulled in through Tesla, coming to us and seeing their excitement around going to car meets and going to events and hanging out with other people and talking about cars and the friendships that are built around the car community is as important as the cars themselves. And all of these things happen, all these things are happening for first timers. And that's the best thing ever is to see new people excited and passionate about cars because without that, we're just, you know, riding horses around. Uh, You know, this is, it's really important that car culture evolves and survives. And the most important metric I think about is whenever I hear a story about someone who's never done whatever the thing is before, they never modified their car, they never been to the track, and now they're super excited and pumped up and they're making all these new friends. That's the best feeling of all. Most important thing of all. Well said, Ben. Well said. Ben Schaefer, co-founder of Unplugged Performance. Check out their website, unpluggedperformance.com. And one more time, that Omaze giveaway for the Model S Apex with the Von Holzhausen Bamboo Interior can be found at vonholzhausen.com slash pages slash unplugged dash performance. There we go. Make sure I get it right. Ben, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. It's an honor. I appreciate it. Well, as we are already 90 minutes into this podcast, I will skip your calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline for this week, but I promise I will get back to them next week. So if you'd like to comment on anything, there's been a lot of chatter, of course, about the EV tax credit. If you want to comment on something you heard Ben and I talk about in the interview, one of the news stories, etc., you can call in either by leaving a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline, which is a toll-free number, 1-888-989-8752, or just use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record the question, and email me the file. Please try to keep your calls to 90 seconds or less. And the email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. 
Well, as I mentioned at the top, what I have been up to with my car this week is driving on down to Pebble Beach to see that DeLorean Alpha 5 EV prototype. I had never been to Pebble Beach before. Boy, is it gorgeous down there. But uh, yeah, check out that Patreon episode for a total deep dive on that car. But generally speaking, it was very impressive in the flesh, in, in, the, uh, in the metal, as it were. I still think that car is kind of caught between worlds. It, it's out of reach at 175000 from DeLorean owners and people that love DeLoreans for the most part. And it's playing in the price territory of Lucid and the Lucid Air, but it has the specs of a Model 3 Performance, which costs less than half the price. So it's I don't, we'll see what happens if it can make, it, make its way to production in the next two, three years. But in any case, uh, that's what I've been up to this week, and I was very grateful to get the opportunity to go to Pebble Beach to see that car. Pro tip of the week time. Here is Xavier from Boston. Hi, Ryan. This is Xavier calling from Boston with a pro safety tip. Um, this has to do with FSD beta, being one of the lucky ones to have FSD beta for a few months now. And as you get comfortable with it, uh, you got to be careful uh, not to accidentally disengage FSD while you keep cruise control engaged. Uh, let's say you're going on a straight line on the highway thinking that you are actually on FSD, and by the time you need to make a turn, you realize that it's not going to make the turn because, you know, FSD was actually not engaged. It had nothing to do with it making a mistake or anything like that, just that uh, the car was only on cruise control. And by the time you realize that you did not have FSD engaged, you're going to have to quickly, you know, uh, take control. But again, if you have been using it for a while, you might feel like, you know, FSD was in complete control and, and it might surprise you. So, um, again, if it ever has, if it has ever happened to you, you know exactly what I mean, but, uh, just be careful not to disengage FSD while keeping cruise control engaged. Hope you like that. And, uh, thanks for everything you do. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Xavier. I have definitely done that many times, actually. It's always good to check in with the car regularly to make sure that you've got that blue steering wheel icon lit up and not the gray one. Blue means it's on. Gray means it's available to you, but not currently activated. Stay safe out there, friends. If anyone else has a pro tip of the week, I would love to hear it. And I'm sure your fellow Ride the Lightning listeners would as well. So please send that in the same way that you send in the regular Ride the Lightning hotline calls, which I just reminded you how to do a few minutes ago. Before I hit the road here, I want to say hello and thank you to the various friends of Ride the Lightning. I'll start with abstractocean.com. So many excellent aftermarket Tesla accessories. A lot of lighting kits for both the, uh, particularly the inside of the car. I'm particularly keen on the rear footwell lighting kit. If I had a Model Y, I would definitely want to get that to, to nice, put a nice, you know, classy under seat lighting against those raised front seats of the Model Y so that if you're sitting in the second row, it just looks extra nice. So check that out. They've got the tempered glass screen protectors, all kinds of stuff. Abstractocean.com. Pile everything that you like into your shopping cart, and when you get to checkout, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST, all one word, for 15% off of your first order. Meanwhile, Snapplate 
is available at everyamp.com slash RTL. That is the front license plate bracket that snaps on and off in seconds, but when it's on, it is secure. It's paint safe, grill safe, radiator safe, autopilot safe, nice, clean, minimalist design that I am a fan of, blends very nicely with the front end of the cars when it's installed, and leaves nothing behind when it's removed. Make those fix-it tickets go away for those of you, like me, who hate having to put on a front license plate. So get yours for any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. Meanwhile, Budget Safe Solar, uh, my, web, my site survey to check out the house ended up not happening today. It's going to be tomorrow now, and of course I'm recording early, so I'll tell you about that next week. But Budget Safe Solar wants you to contact them today if you have the slightest interest in installing solar on your home or business property. Why today? Because tomorrow your neighborhood may have reached its circuit capacity and not be able to handle another customer supplying the aged infrastructure until repairs are completed decades from now. Do not get shut out because you thought that that unattractive roof had one more year left in it. Visit them today at budgetsafesolar.com. And if you do proceed with an installation, I humbly ask that you use the referral code RTL. And again, I'll keep you up to speed on my installation. Immaculate Reflections. So Jeff McGovern, the owner and proprietor, master detailer at Immaculate Reflections, sent me this note this week that he wanted me to humbly pass along to everybody. He says the last few months he's been slammed more than usual. He's also been training a new employee that's slowing him down a little bit. And so the point here is his he acknowledges that his email response times have suffered. His website also went down for two weeks and he, he nobody told him. So the, the poor guy has had a, a little bit of a bumpy go of it. So he wanted to send his apologies to any listeners out there who may have reached out and did not get a response or did not get one in a timely manner. Uh, manner. He wants everybody to know he has taken steps to correct it. He's got his employee trained up, ready to roll, help him out, speed up the process of getting detailing work done. So yeah, he says he doesn't want anyone to feel like they were shrugged off or snubbed. And if, uh, you know, I know Jeff and I know he is a, a very good hearted person. So uh, if you have not heard from him, reach out again and I promise you, you will hear back. So if you are going to book any detailing work, by the way, with your car in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, you want to take it over to Immaculate Reflections. When you do reach out via irdetailing.com, which is his website, mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener and there is a discount waiting for you on any detailing service that you book with Jeff. PureTesla.com slash RTL. That is your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups. 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit that comes fully formatted, ready to go, and it's shipped free anywhere in the US, which is a nice bonus. They also sell those nice slimline, like low profile wireless game controllers that are nice and small to stash in your either glove box or center console if you do a lot of gaming in your car. So either or both the, uh, the dash cam kit and the wireless game controllers. Check those out at puretesla.com slash RTL. Finally, Jada, the uh, referral link there is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight with Jada spelled J-E-D-A. Coupon code for you on that one, RTL. That'll get you a nice discount on 
any of the Jada products, such as the Jada USB hub console, which is a nice all-in-one awesome center console add-on that I do genuinely recommend. It's a storage organizer, USB hub with some USB-C ports, Apple Watch charger and AirPod charger all-in-one does a great job. If you've got an older Model 3 like me, you might want to check out the wireless charging pad to add in Qi wireless phone charging capability to your Tesla, as I have done with the Jada product. I'm a big fan of it. Again, getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight coupon code RTL. Uh, if you're not already subscribing to the podcast, you can do that for free on any of the big podcast services. Most of you seem to get it, according to my data, through Apple Podcasts, but I'm on all the other big ones. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and then audio only on YouTube. But if YouTube is convenient for you, just search Ride the Lightning Tesla. You'll find my channel very easily and you can subscribe there. I mentioned the Patreon enough at the top, patreon.com slash Podcast. It's the totally voluntary way to support my weekly efforts here on Ride the Lightning. The support tiers start at just five bucks a month and that'll get you early access or in this episode's case, extra early access for those folks. They'll get to hear it on Thursday night or maybe first thing when they wake up on Friday morning, so a couple days early. And then the support tiers go up from there, each with new perks, stacking perks attached to them. So you're, I say in advance, I, I humbly thank you in advance for your consideration and your support for all the effort that does go into this show each and every week. That will about do it. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or both. I'm the same handle on either one, DMC underscore Ryan. I've got some DeLorean Alpha 5 EV pictures and movies that I shot from Pebble Beach on my Instagram. Actually, there's stuff on Twitter too. Uh, I put, about, put it up on both. So if, if that is of interest or anything else that I tweet or post on Instagram, you can find me at DMC underscore Ryan. Finally, the Patreon backers at the highest tiers. Thanks first to the Roadster in Space tier backers, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacoveto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, and Carol Weston. And thank you as well to the Maximum Plaid backers, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, Matt Asbury, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, Chris Pratt, and Ken Epstein. Finally, thank you to the grandfathered in plaid level supporters. They are George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, 
Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and finally the Bear Boys of Colorado. Thanks to everybody for backing me at those higher Patreon tiers, getting a lot of perks, including your shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for your continued generous support. Well, this has been a very long episode had that meaty interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I do genuinely hope so. I'm always open to your feedback. If you'd rather hear shorter interviews, if you like that stuff, you'd like to hear more of it, my feedback, my email is open for your feedback. So feel free to drop me a line anytime. I'm always here because I'm doing this show every week and I enjoy doing it and I want you to enjoy it. So if there's a way I can make it better, do let me know. I'm always happy to take it under consideration. For a sleeping Daisy the Boxer, who, by the way, I'll just note, if you're still listening, here's a little Daisy Easter egg for you, if you've listened this far to an exceptionally long episode. Daisy had a cardiology checkup this week, and we got good news and a little smidge of bad news. The good news was her heart is looking great structurally and functionally. She is now completely off of prescription medications. It's been recommended that I continue with a couple of supplements, taurine uh, and fish oil. So I'm giving her those each day, but nothing prescription. There was slight bad news, and that was while they were examining her and doing the echocardiogram, they observed some irregular heartbeat activity. So I ended up going home with a Holter monitor, a 24-hour heart monitor on her, and then took her back the next day. Got the full report back last night from, uh, from my veterinary cardiologist. And the bad news is she does have a bit of irregular heartbeat. The good news, though, is it's, it's at a very low level right now to, to the degree where they're not even, they don't even think treatment is advisable. There's nothing, medication would not really um, make a huge impact right now. So it could stay like this for years or it could progress. And so we're gonna be going back in six months and that's why I'm glad I have pet insurance. I can just go back and spend the, you know, it's, it's not cheap, these veterinary cardiology appointments, but the pet insurance I got has been awesome. They, they really cover a lot. So it's been, it's taken the sting out of my wallet, thankfully. Uh, so yeah, she'll be back in six months for a checkup. So mostly good news for Daisy and then just one more thing to watch out for. But you know what, at least, I'm glad I know about it rather than just she gets the echocardiogram. Hey, heart looks great. No more medica- no more prescription meds needed. And then maybe down the road, it prog- the heart irregular heartbeat thing progresses, gets worse. Maybe she collapses, which is that's how I found out about Maggie's heart condition years ago was she collapsed. So I'm glad I'm aware of it. We're keeping an eye on it. We'll stay on top of it and treat her as necessary because this dog means the absolute world to me and and to my daughter as well. Uh, to my wife too, but it, it's, yeah, Daisy's been such a 
integral part of our family. We, we love that dog dearly. Hug your pets. That's the moral. Uh, hug your pets, particularly if, whether, you know, especially if they're in good health. Value, because I, I, boy, I'm so lucky that her heart has bounced back the way it has. I'm so grateful for that. All right, enough talking from me. This has been Ride the Lightning episode 368. I will see you back here next week. Happy electric motoring, my friends. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.